All right, guys, <clears throat> we are continuing our study through the book of Matthew this morning, and I think that this message comes at a super helpful time to us as a church because we're really going to be looking at the topic of anxiety, and I think that as a lot of us look back at the last uh, seven or eight months of our life, we can say that anxiety is something that we've struggled with, and I don't know about you, but Anxiety has been something that I've personally dealt with since even I was a little kid. I have vivid memories of being like preschool aged and laying in bed. And I just remember laying in bed and um, thinking about getting drafted into a war. Like what five-year-old is anxious about getting drafted into a war? But I think I had heard my dad talk about Vietnam and about getting his draft number and almost getting drafted. And I thought, well, I wonder if a massive war is going to break out when I turn 18. And I'm going to get drafted. And I'm going to die. And I just remember laying there, just these thoughts, just so vividly going through my mind. And then I would just cry out to my parents. And they would come in and say, don't worry about that. You're five, you know? <laughs> But here's what we do when we're struggling with anxiety is we create a future where God is not there. So we envision a horrible scenario, but we don't factor God into the scenario. And what's tricky about anxiety is the reason that we're anxious is because the world's falling apart. All the bad things that we envision happening could happen. That's why we're anxious about them. But I want to remind us that even though bad things can happen and do happen and will happen to all of us, after all, we're all going to die, that God will be with us and that God will provide for us. And so that's really the big idea that's going to pull everything together that we as we look at this passage about dealing with our anxiety from Matthew 6, is that God will provide. I really want us to be like C.S. Lewis. I came across this C.S. Lewis quote, and it was during World War II, and so there were planes that were flying over London where he lived and dropping bombs on a daily basis. And so it was a, a very real daily scenario that you could have a bomb dropped on your house or dropped on you as you were walking down the street. And so somebody asked C.S. Lewis, what would you do if a bomb was coming toward you and you knew that you were going to die? And he said, I'd look at the bomb and I'd say, Pooh, you're just a bomb. I'm an immortal soul. What's he saying? I can envision the same thing that you can envision about your life. It's just I'm doing something that you're not doing. I'm factoring God into the equation. And when you factor God into the equation, it makes all the difference. And so we're looking at three different ways that God will provide for us. And the first way helps us deal with our anxiety is he'll provide for us treasure that lasts. So we're looking at verses 19 through 24 to start of Matthew chapter 6. 19 through 24 of Matthew chapter 6. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So here's one of the things that we try to lean on when we're dealing with anxiety about the future, is we try to lean on money. And so money offers us a kind of security and a kind of provision. And so what we can begin to do is begin to orient our entire lives around the acquisition of wealth in such a way that money isn't just money anymore, a tool used to love God and other people, but money becomes the central focus of our life. And the word that Jesus uses to describe money when it's the central focus of your life is treasure. And he says, here's the problem with having money as your treasure, is that everybody knows that money doesn't last. Moth and rust will destroy even your most treasured possessions. Think about this. You don't even have to be a Christian to agree with this. Everybody knows that you can't take what you have with you when you die. And we've all had the experience, we've all had the experience of having something and thinking that that thing is our treasure and then seeing that thing be destroyed just through the normal processes of life, right? And, and so when, the, when that happens, what Jesus says we should do is say, hey, I think I need to find a different treasure. And he says, here's how you deal with your anxiety. Instead of placing your treasure in the things of the earth, you should place your treasure in the things of heaven. And so when Jesus talks about heaven, um, sometimes uh, we think of like this ethereal place where we're all spirits and it's very immaterial. And, um, you know, people floating with, with harps on clouds and things like that. But when the Bible um, describes where we'll be forever, it describes a very material place. In fact, in another place, uh, Jesus says that our Father is preparing a place for us to live. In my Father's, um, you know, heaven, there's many mansions, and, he, and I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And so when you think of heavenly treasure, don't just think of like an ethereal place. Think of a real material place. So there's a place that will be unaffected by the corrosion that we normally experience in life. And so then the question becomes, how do you orient yourself around that treasure rather than the supposed treasure of this life? And Jesus makes it pretty simple for us. He gives us two choices. He says, you can either serve God or you can serve money. 
but you have to make a choice between the two. And so you can either serve God with your money or you can serve yourself with your money. And Jesus is saying you can't have it both ways. And so what he wants us to do with our earthly treasure is to leverage it to serve the people around us. In other words, to live out the two great commands that God gives us. That's to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And Jesus is really inviting us to invest our lives in this way. So I've used this example before, but do you know what the highest grossing stock in uh, the market since 2010 has been? It's Domino's Pizza. Do you know last time I checked, Domino's Pizza stock since 2010 has gone up 2,500%. 2,500%. So something that 10 years ago would have looked completely foolish to invest in would have been the best possible investment. So 10 years ago, if you think about it, somebody's like, do you want to invest in Apple or Amazon or Domino's? The right answer would be Domino's. (laughs) And in a similar way, if you look at the landscape of the world right now, and people are like, well, you can either invest in getting a bigger, better, nicer house, or nice vacations, or treasure in heaven, it seems like treasure in heaven is a really bad idea. But it turns out that it's the best investment that you could possibly make with your life. Jesus is not shaming us into spending our money a certain way. He is inviting us to invest our money in what will last forever to disconnect our treasure from the things that we have and the money that we have and instead trust him that he will provide for all of our needs because the treasure that he offers us will last. So that's the first thing, treasure that lasts. The second thing that Jesus promises us that God will provide is everything you need. All right, look with me at... Uh, verses 25 through 32. So Matthew 6, 25 through 32, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Okay, it's really important that we understand that this passage 
begins with the word therefore because Jesus is connecting it to what he said before. He says, invest in what will last forever and make God your master. And then he says, therefore, do not be anxious. He's saying when you connect your treasure to heavenly things, then you are freed from an unhealthy preoccupation with your daily necessities. And so that's tough for us, isn't it? There's whole, a whole industry built around each of the things that Jesus mentions here that we should not become obsessed with. He mentions eating, we've got restaurants, we've got drinking, we've got big companies like Coke and Pepsi, and we've got beer companies and wine companies, and we've got clothing companies, we've got the whole fashion industry. And of course, we have the whole health industry when he talks about the body, right? And what are all of those different industries trying to do? They're trying to convince you that if you just ate a little bit more delicious food or had just a little bit more of an expensive drink, or if your body shape could change just a little bit and you could get in just a little bit better shape, or if you could dress like this or that star, then your anxiety would be gone. But we've all bought the clothes, right? We've all tried to go on the diet. We've all lifted weights a little bit more. We've all tried to invest our lives in these things. And what ends up happening is when we invest our lives in these things, we're not left with less anxiety. We're actually left with more anxiety. Because as we obsess over our appearance and what we'll eat next and what we'll drink next, we realize that those things were not meant to satisfy us at the deepest place of our being. And so Jesus invites us to go on a nature walk with him. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at the birds of the air. Just think about the way that God cares for birds. Have you ever talked to an anxious bird? Birds are always happy. They're always singing. They're always fluttering around. And he says, just think about birds and think about this reality. They're never anxious and they're always well provided for when it comes for, to food. They're not anxious and they're fine. He says, think about flowers. Think about lilies. He doesn't just say think about them. He says, go look at them. So you should, as one application to the message, you should go on a walk and just look at these different things. Just get outside. All of us need to get outside more. He says, just look at lilies and just be like, wow, that's amazing. Those flowers are amazing. And what he says you should say is, those flowers are more well-dressed than I am, and they didn't have one ounce of anxiety about what they would wear today. He says, so why are you anxious? So here's the question. There's two possible applications of this. One is, if you're a Christian, you'll always have enough to eat and you'll always be wearing nice clothes. Is that what Jesus is saying? Because if you just think about church history, that doesn't seem to have happened. It seems like sometimes if you're a Christian, 
you get your head cut off. In fact, the people that Jesus is saying this to, at least some of them, his disciples, many of them would die a martyr's death. So it doesn't seem to me that Jesus is saying, okay, look at the birds, look at the lilies, and then expect that God's going to provide you with the wardrobe of your dreams. What, what he's saying is that God is going to give you exactly what you actually need. Which is different than what you think you need. Okay? So, I remember, I, I, this passage was just darting through my mind in one of the most difficult circumstances of my life. I remember my son Jude was born with a congenital heart defect, and his lungs didn't work, and his heart didn't work, and he was dying. And uh, I'm, I'm going to the hospital on a daily basis and just walking him, watching him slowly die. And I remember going home, and there was a tree in our backyard, and there was a small nest in that tree, and there were some baby birds that had just been born. And I remember every day, as I come home from the hospital, I'd take my other kids outside, and we'd go out, and we would look at the nest and just look at those birds. And I remember just wrestling with Jesus over this very passage. Like, Jesus, those birds, their lungs work, and their hearts work. And it would seem that you care more about them than you care about my child. So is this true or is this not true? And what God began to teach me is that I'm so much more valuable than a bird to God that he would test my faith. That he would provide not what I think I need, but what I ultimately need. And so here's just a question for you. What is it that you are demanding that God provide for you as a test of his love? What is it that you say, God, if you don't give me this, then you don't really love me? And I want to ask you a different question. What if God is not giving you what you want because he has something better for you? Because he wants you to reorient your entire life, not around what you think you want, not around your daily necessities, as we call them, but around a kingdom that can never be taken away from us. You see, the last thing that Jesus says in this passage that God wants to provide for us is a purpose for our life. Okay, here's how the passage ends. Verses 33 and 34, he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So here's the conclusion that Jesus is bringing us to. He's asking us, okay, in light of 
how God's economy works. What is the rational way to live? And he says that it is to seek as the primary ambition of your life to seek first the kingdom of God. We've seen this theme throughout the Gospel of Matthew of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the rule or the reign of King Jesus. What Jesus says the primary ambition of your life should not be to store up material possessions or to be successful in the world's eyes or to dress a certain way or to go on certain vacations or to eat certain foods or to have certain experiences. But he says the driving force of life, what you were made for, was to live in obedient submission to King Jesus. You were made to orient every aspect of your life under him. Everything. Sometimes we talk about how we gave our life to Christ at summer camp, or we gave our life to Christ at church, or we gave our life to Christ when our parents prayed for us next to our bed, or when our friend shared Jesus with us in our college dorm room. And there's a very real sense in which we have given our lives to Christ. But there's also this sense in our lives as Christians where he hasn't even scratched the surface yet. There are areas of all of our lives that we have a white knuckle grip on that we will not let Jesus have because we think that if he has our workplace or he has our marriage or he has our relationship with our boyfriend or girlfriend, that it'll ruin our life. We think if we give that part of ourself over to him, that it won't bring us flourishing, but it will bring us misery. But notice how Jesus connects this life that he's talking about to reducing your anxiety. This is actually Jesus' self-help book on how to reduce your anxiety, which is so different than what anyone else says about how to reduce anxiety. People say, just treat yourself. Go on a nice walk. Have a nice uh, massage or something like that. And Jesus says, orient your entire life around the kingdom. Look at the connection that he makes. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And then he says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So you see what Jesus is saying? Seek first the kingdom of God as the primary strategy for reducing your anxiety. Because when you are submitted to King Jesus, when you are doing what he says, you are investing in your, your life in what will last forever instead of what you know is temporary. And so the problem that we have in our lives is that we are investing our lives in what is passing away. And we know that we're going to lose all of those things. And so it's a terrible place to invest our lives. So Jesus is inviting us to invest in his kingdom. To give our lives to worshiping and following after him and loving other people. And Jesus promises 
that he'll take care of the details. I think this is incredibly helpful as a lens to navigate this current moment. Okay, here's what I mean by that. Everyone is freaking out right now. Everyone is afraid that they're going to get COVID and die. Everyone is afraid that if this or that political candidate gets elected, that our country is going to fall apart. And do you know what we're able to say as Christians? It might. But you know what? My life is not connected to this life anymore. My life has been disconnected from this kingdom in such a way that my life is now oriented around God's kingdom. Even if I die from COVID, do you know where I'll go? The kingdom of God. Good news. It's a win. I'm an immortal soul. I'm looking at COVID. I'm saying, oh, you got nothing on me. You kidding me? COVID? I die. I go to heaven with Jesus. I'm raised again to new life. Victory. Some of us are like, oh, if Trump gets elected, there's going to be more riots in the streets. If Biden gets elected, what's going to happen? Everything's going to fall apart. Jesus is on the throne. Last time I checked, he's still there. And our votes and our election cycle doesn't change that reality. And maybe the reason that so many of us, even as Christians, are feeling so much anxiety around these things is because our focus and what we've been seeking is too much around the things of this world and isn't around the things of Jesus at all. I was so refreshed hanging out with a guy from our church this week, and I was having lunch with him, and here was his question for me. It wasn't, who should I vote for? And it wasn't, what's the church's plan with COVID going forward? He asked me, how do I share about Jesus with my coworkers? And we just had such a refreshing conversation about how we can leverage this moment of anxiety that we're living in to talk to people about Jesus. And do you know what? There was no anxiety in that conversation. Because we know that Jesus' mission will succeed. Every tongue, tribe, and nation will surround the throne of Jesus. And we will sing forever, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And because that is the foundational reality of our lives, and because more and more we are orienting our lives around that kingdom, we don't need to be anxious. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Press in in this moment. Use your anxiety as leverage to give your life more fully to what will last forever. What a great opportunity we have as a young church to have this epiphany and this realization 
that everything can go to crap in a moment. And if we realize that, and instead of just sitting down in anxiety and stewing over how much we're losing, if instead of doing that, we would say, we've got some good news. And if we would get out and we would share the hope that we have in Jesus with others, maybe our lives would have a consuming passion instead of a deep anxiety. Let's pray that that would be the reality in our lives and in our hearts. King Jesus, thank you that you are on the throne. Thank you that no matter who gets elected as the next president of our country on Tuesday, that we can trust in you. Our hope is in you. Thank you that even if the worst case scenario happened and we got COVID and we died, that we know that we would be with you forever. That's not just pie in the sky. It's the good news that we're banking our lives on. And Jesus, would you continue to call us to walk in the confidence that we can have as citizens of a different kingdom, a kingdom that cannot be touched by the disasters and diseases and upheavals and riots and changes in power that happen regularly throughout the world. Thank you for this opportunity to open your word and get some sanity this morning to get a different perspective. Would you help us to live in this reality instead of sitting on our phones and looking at news feeds and filled with anxiety this afternoon that we would listen to you, Jesus, and just go for a walk and look at the birds and look at the flowers and remember that you will take care of us, that you are taking care of us, that you value us far more than the animate creation. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.